Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today, from Content Americas in Miami, we hear from Rubicon Global Media's Chris Oldbrecht and Jorge Granier, Banerjee America's Ben Samak, Warner Brothers Discovery's Patricia Yeisen, and BBC Studios' Andre Renault about the opportunities and challenges across the Latin American and US Hispanic markets. Content America's 2024 took place in Miami this week, with nearly a 1,000 buyers, 2,000 delegates and 150 exhibitors attending C21's industry-leading event connecting the Latin American and North American content businesses with the rest of the world. Speakers from Warner Brothers Discovery, NBC Universal Telemundo, Disney, Amazon, VIX, The Media Pro Studio and more took to the stage at the Miami Downtown Hilton Hotel to discuss the latest issues facing the marketplace and explore opportunities for closer international collaboration. In a moment, we'll be hearing from Banerjee America's Chief Executive Ben Samick, Warner Brothers Discovery's Senior Vice President of International TV Distribution for Latin America and Columbia Country Manager Patricia Yeisen and BBC Studios Senior Vice President of Global Formats Andre Renault. But first, former legendary television stars and HBO chief Chris Olbrecht and Venezuelan media veteran Jorge Granier and exec producer on Jane the Virgin teamed up last summer to launch Rubicon Global Media, a new LA-based outfit with a focus on Latin America and Spanish content. The company has partnerships with Sequoia Studios in Spain, BTF Media in Mexico and Curtis 50 Cent Jackson's G-Unit Film and Television and at Content America's announced a documentary series about the history of telenovelas. Olbrecht and Granier spoke to C21 Managing Director and Editor-in-Chief David Jenkinson at the event about Rubicon's strategic focus, its roadmap for the year ahead and the challenges and opportunities facing the industry. A new company with a very, very specific mission. I think we're just going to dive in and find out a little bit about what, you know, what what that mission is. Um, I I, I understand that uh, the logline, you know, crossing boundaries, uniting cultures and creating value is really sort of seems to underpin the mission of the company. Chris, can you maybe give us an outline of the mission and and, and where you are at the moment in that cycle? Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, the... You know, what What I think Jorge and I both felt was there was a real opportunity, having worked on uh, English language, you know, programming for a really long time, and then having worked on uh, non-English language programming, what struck me is how much talent there is out there in the world. And people seem to want access to the U.S. market, which we're very familiar with, um, and also very excited about the talent that's out there in the non-U.S. market. So being able to bridge... The, the gap for the talent, because talent's always you know, the name of the game, to be able to access that market in a way that we can create a, also an interesting financial model um, and create global content, which we think will, is designed to appeal around the world um, and can you know, become kind of a trademark for us. And the value creation is creating value in the shows themselves but also creating value in the company as we go out there and try and, try and acquire some catalogs and some libraries. But he, if, 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 if you like the line, it's mine. If you don't like the line, Jorge yeah. actually did come up with it. <clears throat> so Jorge, how does, how, what, how does that look for you? Uh, wh- 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 how, how is it going to manifest itself in, in real life business? Because of course everyone's trying to build global hits. Yeah? I mean, what's the difference and why should people come and work with you? Well, I think there was a, a big uh, change in the last few years from... Uh, uh, an industry that was, uh, 
you know, taken by the big streamers, which created this boom in television and by itself internationalized and globalized television, and now we can see hits from all over the world, to then I think now that's also open markets where now you can be creative in the way you put these projects together and can find things that you can actually make for, in our case, in Spain or Mexico or Latin America with IP that you're getting from those uh, uh, places, with talent that you get from those places, and you combine that with talent from the US, and I feel like there's uh, a better model to be able to retain rights and be more profitable in the short term and in the long term with, with talent as well. And I think, you know, the other line that Jorge came up with is to describe what we're, what we're doing is we're language agnostic. You know, we want to be able to create <clears throat> shows that are authentic um, and certainly access the U.S. market and have English language content, this, even though this morning we announced the Spanish language docuseries. But, uh, you know, I think there's... We, we can be a magnet for talent. People don't have to do all their work with us, but you know, that one good idea that, that I've been able to find with different people over the course of my career has, has you know, emerged as enough to make the relationship worthwhile on both sides. Yeah, but, but even with that, with that docu-series, I think it's a, it's a testament to what we're seeing in the industry and what we're seeing with content in general. It's about uh, the telenovela genre, which is traditionally a Latin American thing, but that has transcended all boundaries. So... Telenovelas have been watched in over 120 countries, but then they became American general market TV shows like Ugly Betty and Jane the Virgin, and then they have become a, a format that's very well done, and I'd say perfected also by t the Turkish and the South Koreans and other places as well. So uh, I think that's a testament of our vision of, of the industry and how we look at talent and content traveling through, through the globe. And, and, and between you, you've got pretty much an unprecedented track record in, in, in making hit shows in the States. Chris with HBO and together with Stars and Jane the Virgin. I suppose when you're talking to producers around the world about what their ambition is in terms of, let's say, cracking America or, or what people tend to want to do as the big win... Um, What's the secret sauce? And uh, is, is it um, the, the, the financial structure of the deal? Is it uh, anticipating the windowing in the correct way? I mean, when you're visualizing what makes a show work and click in the States with all of that background experience, what lessons have you learned? And what do you say to your partners when you're explaining to them what it's going to take to get you know, that show away? You know, I, I mean, I've always found that at the center of any good show or film, series or film, you need a, a strong creator who has a very specific, strong point of view that's going to resonate with people. And I think that transcends language, uh, transcends genres. And so that's the, the first something that you need. Television and, and, and film is not well done when you're putting it together in a kind of a committee process. We all know that, even though it still gets done that way. And if you're going directly to the big streamers and you get in that in that in 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 their system you are working with a lot of executives from the beginning so to 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 be able to invest to, to create the the materials that are necessary to get into the marketplace we don't want to get involved in any projects where we don't feel we have a path to production which i think is also uh and you know an important step to getting into 
into the U.S. market because we can access financing outside the U.S. market and then bring a high-quality project for not necessarily a top-dollar price, which is the way that, that I think we can crack the U.S. market for a lot of people that are out there. And then the other thing I would say is that the one thing that is always been, I mean, it's not always happened this way, but the speed at which deals get made, the speed at which decisions get made um, in the U.S., I think, is a, is a key that now has to be adopted by countries that aren't maybe necessarily used to making those decisions as quickly. And so we have to, I think, you know, if we're, if we're going to really access the U.S. market, we have to play somewhat by the U.S. style. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the relationship with Sequoia, because that's fundamental to the sort of, you know, the, the, the funding and the development and the opportunity to produce as well, I, I imagine. Just, just give us an overview of how that came about and what, the re, what it means for you and I suppose for them as well. Yeah, so we had a, a personal relationship with some of the Sequoia guys and we saw what they were doing as they launched or were getting to launch uh, Zorro, which they just did and the type of product that they wanted to do and uh, how they wanted to come and be a player in the United States industry. So it made sense that that relationship, as Chris was saying, of uh, somewhere where we can add value. And it made sense for us because it opens up a market in Spain that's thriving, that's growing, that has great incentives, and, and it gives us the ability to produce there at a price that then makes us competitive internationally. So. I'm very excited about that relationship and the one we have in Mexico as well with BTF Media as uh, places where we can go and, and create content in a bit of a different way for the American market that becomes global. Do they have a stake in the green lighting of shows or is, other, is the creative down to you? So the model for us is we have a deal with Sequoia to do a certain n number of shows. They'll have a, a stake in that decision. The, the BTF deal mirrors that. And we'll do much like, you know, people do where you get a script done and they'll, you know, provide the development financing and then we'll get a, a budget done and then we'll figure out how we're going to get it made. And, you know, by that time, I think it will, we'll have a, a really, uh, you know, hopefully we can be on a, on a faster track. So we'll, we are developing a good working relationship with them and that will come, we'll have the same goals. Make something high quality, retain rights where you can, but valuable rights. It's not important to retain rights if they're not really going to be worth anything down the line. So don't, you know, fall on your sword for certain things that aren't, that aren't necessarily important. And, uh, they're, they're two fine companies, and Sequoia especially. It's so impressive with what they're doing. Um, there's an interesting change, well, there's quite a lot of interesting change going on in the market at the moment, isn't there? It's, you know, everything from AI to, you know, the change in, in, in the dominance of streamers, or certainly a readjustment in terms of the windowing of, um, of shows across the, the, the market. Where do you see the future going in, in, in terms of um, the fact that really, for the last five years, it's been very, very important to have a streaming commission and it was probably a one-on-one -on -one commission now there seems to be more co-production and perhaps even that free-to-air tier of channels coming back into the market where where's the bets being placed in future is it yes we're always going to go to a streamer no we're looking for a cable partner how, how do you see the sort of the deal structure i suppose changing over the next year or two well you know one of the shows that i was able to do when i was at legendary for a little while is a model but not the only model that we use a show called drops of god where uh, the Japanese manga was uh, optioned by a French producer, uh, uh, a German-French producer, and uh, uh, was sold to France Television and sold to Hulu Japan. 
and then uh, let, and then the, you know there was a tax money and soft money that came out of France, and then Legendary provided a deficit, and then we sold rest of the world to Apple, and now they're going to do a second season, and I think the the model may be a little different as Apple was excited about it, but that's just one way of thinking about how uh, you know the market's changing. I mean, we saw uh, a ver the voracious appetite of the streamers in the local ter in the local territories, soaking up all the talent, developing everything, and kind of creating a pop a pipeline that got a little stuck. And now, when I go to some of the platforms and and and, and look at shows, you also see that they've that they've bought second windows on 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 shows. So. Finding things that are distinctive and finding deals that are distinctive, I think, is is a, a, a talent that we can acquire and a and a, uh, a skill set that we can exhibit and a and a you know become kind of a, a calling card for people doing business with Rubicon. But I do think that you're seeing the streamers pull back a little bit from we've got to have everything in in, in foreign language. And one of the things that we see in AI uh, uh, is going to change the meaning of what you know, a non-English, of, of what foreign language, no matter what country you live in, is going to mean. Right, yeah. About that, because that's fascinating what's being brought to the table, isn't it? Incredible what's happening and the speed at what's happening. I mean, if you look just at ChatGPT, where, where it is and where it was when it launched last year, it's, it's a really mind-boggling. I think in, uh, that'll have deep implications in our business in uh, dubbing, for sure, and, and creating content that's really... Uh, global and multi-language at the moment it gets uh, launched. And um, I think creatively it will also have uh, deep impacts. But to your point, I think there's also, because of all that turmoil within the industry, it's it's creating a lot of opportunity. And as we see the these behemoths either become stronger, like Netflix, they just reported yesterday, you know, 16 million new subscribers, huge deal with WWE for live sports. That's going to change substantially the, the, the presence and the, and, and the position of broadcasters regionally. And then you have, you know, Warner Brothers with all of their issues and, and their debt, Paramount with maybe a sale or not, we'll see that maybe this year. Um, so you're seeing that the big, big players are very distracted with surviving and, and making this new industry or this new status quo. And I think that leaves regions like Latin America um, very open for producers and creators and, uh, and uh, just content makers to find great stories and work with incredible talent and continue to grow um, a place where I think there's a uh, huge potential. The dubbing point is quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, because it, it is even the case now that something can be dubbed into another language and the lip sync will be in the, in the language as well using it. It's AI. unbelievable. I mean, I mean, we were just looking at something. Talk, talk. Yeah, we, we saw it last week at, at Davos. Uh, Javier Millet did a, a, a big speech and the next day it was being shown on X all over the world with, in English with his voice and his accent, just all by AI. At, Incredible. Yeah, right, and, and his mouth was forming the words that you were hearing yeah. instead of, and I mean, that's, that's like that. And this, yeah. is just, this is just the beginning. So I think, you know, all, like this uniting cultures thing, it's really, you know, now we talk about language agnostic. I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be less about the language and, and more about the uniting cultures part because people are going to start to see you know, characters they, they identify with in a language that, that, that they're, 
that is their language with the actors speaking as if they were native speakers. Yeah. It changes the economy of scale and the business model and the forecasting of shows as well, doesn't it? Because you can probably think about markets that would have been prohibitive to go in just from a post-production dubbing point of view. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's been cheap dubbing available for a while, but it looked like cheap dubbing. Now it's going to look like world-class... Uh, I mean, it's not even going to look like world-class stuff. It's going to look like you, you took it's the actors... Vubbing. And it's called vubbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to look like the world has Duolingo, and everyone is, uh, is, is, is you know, figuring out... That it's not a Duolingo pitch. I own no stock in Duolingo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you talked a lot about talent and, um, you know, the, the, the show that you've announced with 50 Cent, that's a piece of talent. Um, I wonder what talent means in this day and age. Does it mean they have a following? Does it mean they're very active on social media? Does it mean they're in a particular genre? Just to tell us a little bit about what talent now means for you. Well, I think talent is the distinguishing factor. Um, I mean, I, I love working with talent. I'm drawn to talent. We're talking about creative talent. And, um, you know, certainly working with an artist like 50, who has become a fantastic television producer, who's also made him, turned himself into a really fine actor, but what he is extraordinarily uh, ext good at is marketing. And social media is becoming so much in, more important than it, uh, than it ever was in getting the word out in ways that the fans will believe. So at HBO, when we first started to market TV shows like theatrical films, no one had done that, and we did it because we didn't have the ability to, to market those shows effectively on our own platform like the broadcast networks did. So no one's doing that anymore unless you drive down Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles you know, and see a big billboard. But the, these, these artists like Eladio Carrion and, and, and 50 that have big social media followings and also are artists in other fields, music crosses over so well, they just become an auxiliary marketing team that's so much more effective than anything that we could do with paid ads. And like I said, they, and, and then that spurs um, audiences to become your, another factor or another fa facet in your auxiliary marketing team. And shows like Outlander or Power or whatever, you, know, you start to have the fans become the ones that help you sell subscriptions. To that point, I mean, that's a defining factor in... in the world where we are right now with so much television and, and so much programming and so many options, not only from television, but from film and, and social media. And uh, it, there has to be a way to cut through that. So I think in our, um, in our model, as we think about maybe making these deals in foreign territories where the local player or the streamer might not have the muscle or, or a big enough capacity to market a show as well, the, the talent part's gonna be a critical component in really cutting through all of that and, and making the show visible to, to the audience. Right. Just wanna talk a little bit about the projects and, and, and why the 50 Cent show, uh, why you came, it's called Pray Before You Eat. What was the anatomy of that show that made you go for it? And how is that going to translate to what you go for next? So what, obviously there's 50 Cent, but was there any other? Well, you know, that? again, this has happened somewhat uh, serendipitously, is the, the, the artists and the shows that, that have come to us first are organically um, multicultural and multilingual. So the 50 show um, starts in a, in, a, in a world. It's a, you know, it's a crime uh, genre, and it, by the end of the first episode, the characters are, have, have, have left to, one to go to Puerto Rico and one to go to Dominican Republic, um, and uh, it, it, it just fit 
aside from it's his idea, a really good idea, strong characters, um, exciting stuff, uh, you know, follow along with some of the things that have been successful before, it also just speaks to global programming. And then the Eladio deal. Yeah, and then the Eladio deal is, uh, you know, his personal story, in, in a way, uh, that's about an American kid going to Latin America and having to adapt in, in a Latin I mean, he Latin was Puerto American Rican, American born, but went to Puerto Rico yeah, at 11. Amer right, American born and, and grown and, and, and didn't speak Spanish <laughs> and, <laughs> and, went to, and went to Puerto Rico to learn about his culture. This is really what happened to him. And again, both shows, will, we, you know, we plan to use a lot of music, hopefully with a lot of young artists that 50 can bring, that Eladio and, and, and his representatives and record company can bring. And music we know crosses over, especially in, in, from the Latin market. I mean, it's so, so hot right now, hotter than ever before. Um, so we just thought that those things had a lot of, uh, you know, elements that could become a trademark for us. Yeah. And both music-based, so is that going to be the commonality across a lot of the catalogue? Are you really going to dive into the music side of things? Yeah, yes, uh, but that's not only the things that we're doing. I think we're, we're looking at catalogues of uh, music throughout Latin America where we think we can find interesting things and stories that Drama we can tell. Drama and documentary. Right, and, um, and for scripted, yeah, both. And then we're also looking at libraries in, in Latin America where we can draw from and, uh, and things like we've done in the past with uh, Jane the Virgin and, and other examples. Um, so, yes, I think that the... The music is a, is a big uniter of cultures, and, and we think it can be a, an asset for us. It's interesting that, you know, a, a lot of the, the agencies, the brands, are in Miami as well, yes? And what's your view on the future of uh, how that relationship changes with relation to what them spending money on networks as opposed to investing and partnering with content producers? Because is that changing at all? Uh, well, look, it, it, it has to thing. change because, you know, first of all, the, they sort of all co-opted each other. You know, the broadcast networks and, and the ad agencies and the people who were responsible at the brands for spending money, they, they had no idea what the effectiveness of their campaigns were. But if they didn't spend the money, no one would have had jobs and no one would be able to afford to do it. So as that's clearly changed and they can't make that argument anymore, um, they are going to need to, and, and I mean, I, I hadn't been down to the, uh, the design you know, district here, um, but I mean, just look at the brands that were down there that have opened up stores here. It, it was thriving. It was Monday night, I think, or Tuesday night, and not a... I mean, you know, you wouldn't be able to find hardly anybody out in L.A. anymore. I mean, it made, it made Rodeo Drive look silly. And uh, I think that's because of the vibrance of, of the cultures here. And, and uh, I, I think the brands are, I mean, look, they know that. And we see, you know, companies like Banerjee, obviously, they've got a, I can see the table, you know, as I, as I come down the stairs because I can't get an elevator. They've got obviously big, you know, presence here. So they're seeing the, the value and, and the importance of being closer to, to taking, yeah, to, yeah. to taking ownership of productions. So what comes next? What's your next show and would you like to announce it now? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we're, we're, we're working on a few things. Um, kind of, we've kind of had to, to, you know, not open the floodgates, yes, because we've had a lot of material come to us that's very interesting. Um, we're finishing setting these things up. We have something interesting in the works that we'll be announcing next week that we're very excited about on a different genre. 
that will kind of show you where the company's going and how we're opening up. And then it's a book that we've optioned. Uh, again, you know, a global story. We're talking to one of the lead companies. I mean, we, I think that we've already said. It. I mean, you know, we're, we we hope that we can uh, work with Media Pro on on that one. And uh, um, and it's does it have commonality suits? with the stuff you have already, or what are the three or four elements of that story that again uh, means it's the next one? The international aspect and, and multiculturalness of it is the, the commonality, but on a very different subject with, with very yeah, different Yeah, and the characters. fact that the book is, you know, is an Amazon bestseller, and you know, we, we certainly think that we have you know, you know, facets of the story that are going to be able to uh, be really utilized and, and augment the marketing, uh, and as Jorge said, get the word out you know, to the audience. Okay, so we've got an anonymous question. I always like anonymous questions. Uh -oh. uh, um, uh, is it from anonymous it's not, it's content? Nothing, it's nothing too dangerous. Is, is the focus on features or series? Is, is one or the other more viable for production companies? Will you partner with independent producers who funded pilots? So the, the answer to that is that the, we're, we're both. We're open to both. We're working on a feature right now that we're very excited about. It comes with... Um, about half the financing from the from the producers that brought us the script, and uh, and we're putting together the other half of the financing with our partners and, and tax incentives and, and where we'll shoot it. So we're open to that, and we're seeing a lot of appetite from a lot of the buyers in in features. I think it has great ROI for them, and uh, and they've been seeing that over the past year versus you know some of the limited series or uh, some of the other stuff they were making. Um, and what was the other part of the question? Uh, will you partner with producers who funded the pilot? So how, will they be able to take an equity position in this project, I imagine, is the question. Yeah, so sure. I mean, uh, first of all, if someone has already funded a pilot and made a pilot, that's send it. I mean, if it's good. But, uh, you know, I think uh, we, we, we want to make, I mean, the, 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 the real key here is to, uh, you know, really incent the talent to take a stake in their own work. Now that's going to have certain trade-offs. You know, nobody gets the big check up front. The really, I mean, you get a good check. We all get paid well in the entertainment business when when things go even reasonably well. But you know, the 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 idea here is um, to let the creative mind. That's what I was talking about before. About you know, a strong point of view, really take a lead and 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 take ownership in it. So yes, we will work with independent, and we're independent. Right. Well, look, we're, we're out of time now, so thank you ever so much for coming and sharing uh, your vision with thank us. Thank you for inviting pleasure. us. It's been and a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and congratulations you. on what a great conference this Thank is. you. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, please a round of applause. Thank you. Chris Albrecht and Jorge Granier speaking with David Jenkinson. Also at Content Americas was Banerjee America's Chief Executive Ben Samek, who was promoted to the role almost a year ago when Chris Abrego stepped down, the latter subsequently establishing Banerjee-backed Hyphenate Media Group, together with Eva Longoria. Samek spoke with Marianne Halford about Banerjee America's operations across Brazil, Mexico and the US Hispanic market, his ambitions of growing the business both organically and through M&A, but why production companies need to remain lean in the current environment. Next month, Ben, you will be in this position for one year. How's it been going? It's hard to, hard to believe it's already been a year. Okay. Uh, you know, part of it was I, I 
kind of was in, involved in planning prior to that year, mm -hmm. so um, it, we were able to hit the ground really running in the transition. But it's been, yeah, a really big year. In challenging year, it, it, which I'm sure we could talk about, but for us as a group, um, you know, really for us, for, for me, really specifically looking at it, it's been, this first year has been a lot of, you know, leadership and structure focus, um, because part of it was, even prior to this, um, Animal Shine North America was really the parent company and production company. Mm -hmm. And so the, me taking the role as Bandage Americas gave me the ability to create a true parent company across the Americas. And, and I was able to then elevate some of the leadership across our group into those individual production companies. Because basically what Bandage Americas is, is a portfolio of production companies, both in the US, Mexico, and Brazil. Um, and so focusing on that, on that leadership, so we were able to elevate Sharon Levy to run Animal Shine North America, but treat it really as a true production company. Mm -hmm. um, and then later in the year with Julie Peasy taking on leadership over Buna Murray and 51 Mines. Um, and so it would give us the ability to, you know, kind of cover the market. As you'll know, oftentimes our strategy is really looking at, okay, how do we attack the market? And we do that through the portfolio of companies. Um, so in this year, there's been a lot that has happened positively. Mm -hmm. Um, despite a strike. Despite a strike, yeah, despite a strike and despite even challenges in, uh, you know, the economic situation in general, you know, mm -hmm. content spending, once you toggle that back, um, for whatever reason, it, it affects all the production companies significantly. And then, so, so what do you think are um, some of your most important accomplishments over this period of time? Uh, well, setting up the leadership, I would say, was, okay. is, is definitely one for me. But and, and I'm glad to see there were a number of women that you appointed in those roles as well. Yeah, so. but we've, we've really focused on, uh, on a community, you know, and not necessarily, you know, care who, who the voice is. It's really the best, the best voice. And it's been, you know, the ability to, to choose some women in those roles who are really strong and powerful and fantastic at what they do is something I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. um, there, yeah, there are more women in leadership across our, across our ten, 10 labels than there are men. But That's it just happened to be. That's great. Um, but no, so as far as uh, uh, specific things we can point to, so it was the first year of Luis um, and Fabrica coming into the group mm -hmm. in Brazil. And so that's been a big year in kind of growing out the Brazil strategy. Um, we also built a 250,000 square foot uh, facility in Brazil. Um, and we talked about the stages and really how, why we did that. And then all of the big content launches that's happened, you know, Casa de Famosa last night just premiered on Telemundo. Um, and that was such a huge hit, both in the U.S. and then also the version we did for Televisa and, and VIX. So that was produced out of Mexico, I assume. Well, yeah, both were produced out of Mexico. Totally okay. separate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, production teams and focus and tailoring it for those individual markets. But yeah, both in Mexico. And then uh, you acquired Alfabrica before you took on this role. But what was the strategy behind acquiring Alfabrica? Um, well, not Fabrica is in Brazil. I just wanted to make sure people knew that. Yeah, in Brazil. So, so primarily scripted and premium doc. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they're located in Rio. And sometimes the strategy across our group is to grow it from within. And sometimes the acquisition is, is a better way to get those leaders in the company. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Fabrica and Luis and his team are just really great at what they do in the scripted business. And so we met them, felt like it was a, there was a good, good fit and good synergy. And that was our way to really push further into the scripted business in, in, uh, in Brazil. So with Brazil and Mexico, those, those are your two principal focuses in terms of 
where you have production people on the ground, production companies on the ground, correct? Yeah, that's, that's where we have actual production you know, infrastructure and right. production teams servicing the overall area. But then Banerjee Rights, which is also you know, one of our mm -hmm. companies, uh, and uh, uh, they focus on the format sales directly into some of the territories where we don't right. have. Like Russia. Chile and Argentina yeah. and Colombia. Uh, and so, but as I understand, you have two labels in Mexico and then two in Brazil, correct? So what's the strategy behind having two different labels in, in, in each of those countries? Um, so we'll take, the, again, they're, 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 diff they're both different in the markets, but so for Mexico, Boomdog was our initial JV that we built with mm -hmm. Alejandro Rincon and his team. And as that continued to grow and scale up, um, Marie Leguizamo, who was an executive producer and producer for us, really had the desire to make her mark on, mm -hmm. the, on the world. And so we were able to invest in building another label. Um, she's got a, a, really a specialty in... She had a really deep relationship with, um, with Amazon, with LOL and Temptation Island and a number of shows. Um, and then on top of that, just she, she's been focused on hubs and her ability to do that. We've been able to produce uh, Temptation Island in three territories recently, LOL the, the same. Um, and so it was really leaning into leadership there, mm -hmm. where even though primarily non-scripted, where you would see there's some similarities right. between the labels, but it's really just that, that leadership piece. And, um, and can you explain hubs for, for the audience, oh, sure. just in case some of them don't know? Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, so, so a hub for us is... You know, you sell Temptation Island to Amazon, and they want a different version for, uh, for Chile, a different version for Brazil, a different version for Mexico. And so whereas there's cost efficiencies in shooting in the same location, so a lot of times we'll set up one location, whether it's a stage or a house or whatever, and then build a build. You still have to tailor the show for that territory and cast it differently for that territory, but it gives you the ability to have some you know, cost effectiveness right. across, the, across the group to be able to do it in one place, sometimes with one production team, one camera operating team, and then different producers, and then everyone will go back to their individual territories to post-production, for through the post-production and finishing. But hubs are really, by the way, we did it in Brazil with the wall. When you build the wall, you know, it's, it's a massive production. Um, and so it just makes sense to be able to then send other casts through, through there for other territories. And, and did you do that at the studio you built in, in Brazil? So uh, we, we just did, use, did one season of The Wall because it's just really recent. So right, we opened okay. the first stage in November, and now the second two stages are now officially open. Um, so we did one season there, but originally not. By the way, originally that's actually partly what really pushed us to, to need to look around for another stage because... Uh -huh. It's such a massive, you know, height uh, need yeah. because of the the way it's built. Right. Um, there was really only one stage that was even able to to house us, mm -hmm. um, and so that's where we looked at it as a market need. You know, there just weren't that many stages there, and you know, an Animal Shine Brazil team produces I don't know, 18, 20 shows a year, um, and. <laughs> you just, there, were, there wasn't even the facilities to be able to support that. Wow. And now bringing in on Fabrica, who will also have usage of it. But by the way, the, we have third parties also using the space too. That, that is really our goal, is to, is to, to support the creative community there. Mm -hmm. um, is it in Rio or Sao Paulo? No, it's in Sao Paulo. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it took about a year to build. Yeah. You know, the idea was, you know, it's just there's, there's a market need and... Um, so let's, let's invest, you know, we continue to grow in the market, it needs, needs to be there. We, by the way, we did it with post-production in Mexico, it's a similar type of thing where we're, mm -hmm. there's just, 
there, there, there was need. Um, mm -hmm. And so we have such volume that it's great if we can you know, lean into a facility and, and use it. But again, if you build one and, and spend the investment like that, you really need to have it be open to the outside, the public too. So in terms of your clients, you work with both streamers and broadcasters. What's the difference in terms of servicing them? And, and what, how, do, how do you wind up developing a strategy for, for catering to both? Yeah, well, uh, it, it's challenging, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to look at every platform and every network really individually. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we're really good at is listening to them about what their needs are because it's, there are similarities in the need for amazing production value and for the storytelling, but there's differences in regards to windowing and in regards right. to cost, in regards to how local versus international does it need to be focused. Um, and so we really work hard at the starting places, developing shows that are right for that platform or that network, and then it goes into deal-making, assuming that works, then it goes into deal-making, which are also different per platform and network. So it's really listening to them and adapting to, to the needs. Yeah, and when I talk to some of the, your folks um, in advance of, of doing this uh, interview, um, they talked about local commissions and local plus commissions. What's the difference there? So the way we approach it is, um, and, and different platforms are using local plus. The local plus really comes more from the streamer side, okay. um, where Local, it is focusing on that local market. We take an idea, let's assume, that, let's take for example, Big Brother. Big Brother needs to be different per territory. Mm -hmm. The Big Brother in, in Brazil, uh, produced by you know, Globo and Benito and those team, like, it's a different show than it is in, in Mexico and it's a different show than it even is on CBS um, in, uh, in the US. And so you really need to look at who the audience is gonna be and how do you serve that audience. The local plus piece comes from a lot of, it's, it's really pushing to, you see there's occasionally a hit just travels and you don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you can look back and, and through a sports analogy, play Monday morning quarterback and say, okay, well, this was their access point. Right. Um, but, you know, many of the streamers are looking at it like, okay, if I'm going to make this level of investment, it's got to travel outside of just a territory. So how do we do that? And so sometimes it's through a big piece of IP. Sometimes it's a, it's a talent you know, that, that is looked at globally. And sometimes it's just the storytelling. I would say most of the, the local plus seems to be more on the scripted side, mm -hmm. um, where you really need to have a show that can, that can travel to be able to have it make sense. And with your Brazilian, because your biggest scripted presence right now in, in LATAM is, is in Brazil, correct? Yeah, gr growing in Mexico, it's been, okay. it's definitely, it, we are, it, you know, Boomdog is primarily a non-scripted group, right. but really, but really growing with like, uh, a number of shows now, and overall deals with Kate de, de Castillo and, and focus on like Water for Chocolate that's going to come out. Right, yeah. So like we have some, some big pieces there, but it is a, it is a growing part, but it mainly non-scripted. Yeah, like Water for Chocolate, I actually talked to your colleague Steve Matthews about that yesterday. That sounds like a really amazing production. Can, can you talk a, talk a little bit about that? So I don't have an air date yet. Okay. <laughs> as, many, as much as we push for it. Right. Um, but it really was, it was just, it was just a big bet, which is their willingness to really, um, you know, in, invest. So the production value is massive, the, the sets that we were able to go out and, and shoot. And, um, and you're working with Salma, Salma Hayek yeah, right, yeah. and Venturosa. Um, and so that was really just, again, talking about a, a story that 
was very, you know, Mexican originally with the right. book, but how, how to make that really local plus. Um, and so that has really been the focus, but a lot of that's in storytelling. Uh, we do have a question. Um, uh, somebody would like to know, what do you expect to accomplish in Latin America over the next three, six, three to six months? Three to six months, so quick, uh, fast. I, I, I might say 12 months, so, but okay. <laughs> What's the plan for this no, year? No, I mean, it, it really is, I, I, can, I, I talk about leadership so often yeah. because... I really do, like part of my job is every day I have to wake up and figure out how to help grow these subs. You know, how do I go to them, the subsidiary companies? How do I go to them and sit, sit with them and really figure out how to support them growing? And so three to six months, 12 months, it, a lot of times like I feel like we've, we've set the stage for the organization and now it's really just investing in creativity and investing in, in growing those shows. Like most of the shows that will come out in the next three to six months have already been sold. Right. And so it's really, how do we, even the next stage is how do we invest in making those great? Because I think, you know, it, it, it's great to have IP and show up and bring IP to the market, but it has to work. It has to work. Right. And so the, the execution piece, I think, is, is sometimes overlooked as much as it is, you know, they, that is so important to be able to actually execute on these shows and have them work. Um, so have as many shows sold and have as many shows work in the next three to six months would be great. And then um, you have made a um, significant investment in uh, a company called Hyphenet, um, which includes your, your predecessor, uh, Chris Abrego, as well as uh, Ava Longoria. Um, I understand they're gonna be focusing on scripted content. Um, it, Will that also include focusing on Latino talent, or is that more just for the overall scripted market? I was, I was curious there. I, I think they're, they're, they're really going to be focused mainly on the English language, um, but, but really wide, broad audiences is, is the focus. So, and they're really, it's, it's, a, it's a new way to attack the market for an entertainment company, right. um, both that they will be acquiring you know, companies, but also internally developing their own IP. Um, and so that, that's been... So by the way, it's a, it's a different deal even structure for us right. as a group and how we're looking at that and making that investment in, in Eva and, and Chris Abrego, again, betting on, betting on people, you know, mm -hmm. and their ability to be impactful in the market and look at things differently. Um, and so that's what's been really refreshing. But yeah, we're just an investor in that um, and we'll continue to see them grow and, and, uh, and hopefully later date, there'll be some stage where we can be more involved, but right now we're just investing. Right. And, and, and as you think about building a scripted business, how, how, how important are the Americas, um, or, or let's say Latin America, and I include both Brazil and Mexico in there, or Brazil and Spanish language Latin America in there. How important is that going to be to your overall scripted plans for the Americas? Yeah, I mean, it's very important. Um, I would say the, I'm sure it's come up on a number of panels that this, this, this week or in the you know, last couple of days, but... Um, I think the, the world is flatter. You know, everybody right. says that. It's just the content is traveling. The audience is so much more willing to, through subs and, and, and dubs, being able to just see things that are great. Um, I think a lot of times Europe and Asia gets, gets talked about a lot. And mm -hmm. so my goal is really to try to get as much of that extra content spend to come to LATAM and, and, and really... So for me, that's, that, that's really what we're looking at. We're looking at, all right, how do we get some of that market share by supporting and investing in some great development? Um, but it's important. You know, I think if you, you have to be focused on scripted and non-scripted to be able to attack mm -hmm. a market, you build relationships with these platforms. And I think a lot of times, as production companies, 
you can, can really get moved around a lot based on the strategy of those platforms. Um, and so building the relationships with the Apples and the Amazons and Netflix and, and, and such, and then also the local platforms, local networks, you know, you, you have to have that relationship and you have to be able to bring things that are, to them that are going to work. So that's where we're really working on the development slate to be able to hopefully get more of that market share mm -hmm. into LATAM. And you, speaking of Europe, do you also coordinate or collaborate with your colleagues in Spain? Because I know you, you have several production labels there as well. We do. There's a great relationship just because you're talking about Spanish speaking, the travels. Mm -hmm. um, so we spend a lot of time with you know, Pilar and Macarena and that, and that whole group as far as so there's some development that goes back and forth. Um, but, but yeah, that, I mean, they're, they're deep relationships. By the way, we look at our entire globe because a lot of times that's where the IP comes from. Right. Is, is how do we either co-develop an idea together? You know, recently, Are You For Real is going into a second season on Televisa. That was co-development. Like, I love this story. But it was, it was co-development between Boomdog and Animal Shine Italy. Mm -hmm. And then, then sold into at uh, Televisa. Now it's been picked up in the Nordics, and I think in one other territory also. So that idea of how do we collaborate uh, amongst the group of of creative production companies to be able to then, you know, serve serve a, a broadcaster, and then hopefully have something that then travels. And will it be picked up by Univision here in the United States? Potentially. Potentially. And, and what is the premise it's, behind? It's for, it's for sale. If anybody's okay. <laughs> what is the premise it, behind? It, Are you for real? Uh, I actually couldn't even couldn't get to. to okay, into that's it all right. Yet. Okay, that's all right. But 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 it would be. Show, yeah. But you hope to see other formats coming out of, of out of various markets. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those with the idea of of going to a broadcaster, and at times that's one of the things we actually can offer is really if it's an original creative de um, development, being able to to create it with a local broadcaster and then have something that we can we can help travel. So that there's another revenue mm -hmm. source for that broadcaster. Um, that's something that oftentimes we're talking to the local broadcasters about. Is like how do we utilize the fact that you know we're in 22 territories and have deep relationships with all those broadcasters to be able to get a global hit that, right. that is derived and in, in, in created in Mexico or in Brazil. Right. But but I would assume you also look to develop those relationships with like a Telefe and in Argentina or in Arciani and Colombia. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And then, um, and so how do you, how do you see the business evolving over the next five years? So like three to five years in terms of just production companies overall. I mean, the, the business is going through significant change right now. You know, there are all these headlines about we've hit peak content and, um, different things happening. Um, how, how do you wind up thinking about a broader strategy? for the next three to five years? Yeah, I, I, if from the production company side, I think it's important right now to have lean infrastructure just to give mm -hmm. everybody as much runway as possible because of that toggling up and toggling down on, on buying. Um, you're reliant on the streamers and the platforms and the networks to really decide when they're gonna spend in those territories. And so uh, my, my, my gut is that there will be much more spending in LATAM. The, the, Mexican Spanish language content is traveling and it will only continue to travel more. Um, and so there will be consolidation. We, we, we all expect it. Mm -hmm. Who knows what it will be. Everyone's read all the rumors. Um, and so I think that will balance out the market. I do think the, the idea of we've always been ad supported. You know, broadcast has always been right. ad supported. And, and now that the platforms are leaning into the ad tiers, I think it makes so much sense. 
Um, and so as those things balance out, I think we'll have a clearer sense of, of who's going to be ready to buy and, and, and who, do we, who do we go sell to. But as a production company, we're kind of waiting a lot of times on the platforms. Even though we're willing to invest and even though we're willing to, to do a lot of the work, um, it, the, 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 we have to match with the platform or the, street or the network. So you've been at um, Banerjee or its predecessor companies for a number of years now. How, how has the business evolved for you um, over that stretch of time? Well, I would, corporate-wise, we were talking a little bit about yeah. because it was, uh, I was hired by Endemol, then it became Endemol Shine, and then it was, and then Banerjee acquired, right? So you, you change over the leadership um, at a parent company, which really does um, affect the, the local production mm -hmm. companies. Um, and so uh, the Endemol Shine Group was, was more of a top-down structure um, with, lots, um, with more systems. Banerjee being that, you know, Mark Pacetti and Stefan, they, they were production company owners. Mm -hmm. And so now I would say it, it's even more focused on how, do, how does the group support those local production companies and how are we part of that, um, which has been great because that's all about the understanding what it means to run a production company, what it, what it means to really feel like there's something you want to bet on and you genuinely think that just a gut reason why you want to invest in a project just because mm -hmm. you really think that's the right one, they get that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, been a, that's been a big evolution of kind of my, my time through the, through the companies and how, how, how it affects things. And then how do you think about managing organic growth versus inorganic growth? Well, uh, Banerjee was, was built on acquisitions, right? It's, right? it's always been a big piece of, of us as a company. I think that we've been really working hard as globally at, at really, you know, continuing to evolve our company from traditional, you know, production company to more entertainment company. Mm -hmm. And so that's been one of those, those pieces, which is, really big investments like the Balich Entertainment, you know, uh, investment we made in big live events, you know, experiential pieces, you know, the, obviously the stage are, are other ways of us investing in things that are connected to the content business. Um, and so that's the way was, ways we're looking to, to evolve for sure. Um, yeah. Are, are there other potential acquisitions in Latin oh. America? Um, so I'll, I'll never, I'll never count out okay. an acquisition, like a traditional M and A, if I found the right partner or the right, the right person. But I think much more for the, at least the meantime, the, sh the short term, we're going to be focused on still the big, you know, international transformational type of investments, and then most of the other investments are going to be really uh, investing in, you know, uh, in growth companies and startup companies and other ways of us trying to figure out how to, how to grow the portfolio approach like, and like how to organic, organic growth, right? Like the hyphenated in investment for yes. sure. Um, so I don't think there's going to be as many bigger, you know, like the middle tier of, of investments for now, but we will never say no. It's always about the right partner and at the right deal and at the right time where we think we can really add meaningful value to a, to a production company. But I think for now it's going to be much more focused on the, the, how do we help grow companies from the start? And you've talked a lot about your work with the streamers. Are there certain streamers you work with more than others? Um. No, I mean, I, th I think we, we, do, we do a lot for, for all the streamers across, across mm -hmm. the group. Um, and again, each one has been focused differently on, on how we can work with them. You look at you know, Netflix in, um, in Brazil. There's a lot of different ways for us to work with production companies. So, um, 
we do production services for them at times with shows that we didn't create. You know, mm -hmm. Love is Blind was a kinetic show. It was amazing in the US. By the way, I'm a huge fan. Um, but they were able to, they hired, you know, the Brazil team to go and execute it in Brazil. And so, you know, th th that's, that's fine too. You know, if we're, again, focused on the execution and focused on the best in class, it gives us the ability to really work with anybody in a lot of different ways. What is your biggest aspiration for, for the business over, over the next three to five years? Oh, I just want it to settle down a bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's been so much change and so much, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just like such a shock to the system between the strikes, the consolidation, between the shifting of strategy. It, I just feel like if we could get a little bit clearer of what our North Star is, then we could all lean in and, and start rowing in that direction. Um, so oftentimes I, I feel like even from month to month, things change right. so, so much. Um, mm -hmm. You look at Netflix was, was not going to be in the sports business necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden they closed a huge, you know, uh, uh, huge WWE deal. Like that, that came out of nowhere for me. Right. And yet should be a huge opportunity for a lot of production companies um, and or those platforms because it brings another, a huge another audience. And so you've got to figure out how to serve that audience. And so I do think that as things continue to evolve and settle, um, then, then the production companies can really figure out how to apply what they're great at and to be able to help support their growth. Could you see yourself doing something along the lines of a WWE type of production? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. We, yeah. All right, we, by the way, Sharon Levy in the U.S. produced Tough Enough for you know, a number of years at, at Spike and, and those shows. It doesn't have to be just the, 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 the initial broadcast. There's lots of other entry points um, when you have such a passionate audience base. So we have a lot to look forward to going forward. Hopefully. That's okay. the goal. Well, Ben. Lots more shows. Thank you so much, thank Ben. Thank you so much. Banerjee's Ben Samek. Elsewhere at Content Americas, Warner Brothers Discovery Latin America and U.S. Hispanic President Fernando Medin and Latin America Chief Content Officer Mariano Cesar detailed the rollout of Max across the territory, but ahead of their session, Senior Vice President of International TV Distribution for Latin America and Colombia Country Manager Patricia Yeisen spoke with Nico Franks about hot topics, including fast channels. So we're here at Content Americas, and tell me a bit about some of your priorities for this year's market. Well, for me, this is the first market of the year. I'm in charge of content sales all over the region, so priority is to start uh, the year with good deals, present, pitch all the uh, first-run uh, movies to the free-to-air uh, networks in the region, and exploring any other content sales uh, option. And it's an interesting time at Warner Brothers Discovery. We've got Max obviously available in the US for a while now, but it's coming to Latin America. How will that um, impact what you do in the region? Well, in terms of content sales, there's not much difference. Um, the, the platform, Max, uh, will have uh, all the content of Discovery also included, uh, besides the content that HBO Max had. Um, for me, um, Max or HBO Max is, you know, an internal client. It's the first window after theatricals. They they have pay one rights, um, and after that, I mean, almost all the content is available for different uh, business models. And what are you seeing in terms of uh, demand for that huge catalog that you have now through those 
combined uh, media giants. What are you looking, for, uh, seeing buyers uh, looking for in particular at the moment? Well, since we have such wide catalog, our clients are coming from different windows and from different territories. So we do have different counters for different people and from different networks. Uh, on SBOD, uh, you know, usually we sell series and movies, and on free-to-air we sell also movies, we sell a lot of animation, and the discovery content is, be is beginning to be very popular on free-to-air also, which usually, you know, that it, it was for uh, pay TV. So we have content for everyone, so it's, it's hard to say what are they demanding uh, because you know we have all the demands I mean we sell animation we sell unscripted we sell movies we sell series uh, so it's a, it's a little bit uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot mm -hmm. and including Barbie obviously including so Barbie. <laughs> how has that been selling that is it the case that you know so many people have already seen it that it's not as in demand or is it different no, I think that it's one of those movies that you can see and you can watch several times. And it's proven on the theatrical business. I mean, people want to watch the movie many times. The same people with different, you know, or teams or daughters or, or family. I mean, the, the people went more than once to, to watch uh, Barbie. And um, and I, you know, in in, the, in Max, it's working very very good. And I I can say that it will be working good in any any other window. And Content America's delegates heard on the opening morning um, from various research firms, and they were talking about uh, free ad-supported streaming TV, so fast. Um, what's your approach to that? Because it feels like in North America that's where um, the revenue figures are, are most strong. But how about in LATAM? Well, for LATAM, FAST is still uh, a very young business. Um, so finally, it's an ad sales business. So um, an ad sales uh, business is struggling in, in Latin America. So we are really in, in very early stage of understanding the business, the development of the business in Latin America. U.S. is already solid and they started, as you said, um, seeing revenue. But in LATAM, is still, we are working on that. So from Warner Brothers Discovery, we still don't have our own fast uh, networks. We have a very good own uh, traditional lineal business that we are protecting and we are trying to uh, keep that business, you know, uh, good in good health. Um, so we will be looking how you know this will behave and how will this will de develop from the content sales. I sell content to everyone, including fast channels. Um, but you know we don't have our own fast channels yet in that time. We will see. I mean, what future brings? Yeah, because I think in other markets, Warner Brothers Discovery is is going big. I think we did a story recently about 15 new channels in. Central and Eastern Europe, it might have been the Czech Republic. Um, so, yeah, different markets, different, different trends. What do you think the barriers are in, in LATAM? Is it a kind of technological barrier? So in terms of, because obviously you need smart TVs for fast, or is it more of that viewing habits aren't changing as much? Well, I think that it's more a content issue. I mean, because if you don't have revenue, you cannot license good content. 
So what's going on now is that the, off, the, the, the offer available on fast is not the premium content. Uh, so I think that the business needs to be a, a good revenue business in terms of having enough budget to acquire better content and that maybe it's you know an opportunity for the people to be more interested on on consuming uh, fast but the ad sales business is you know clients are always the same I mean it's not that we are going to have more clients because we add uh, the fast channel platform so we're moving money from one one business to another clients are the same so I think that it's a lot that there are a lot of factors but if the content is not the best content I don't see uh, you know a fast uh, offer uh, solid enough to attract more more audience and how are things changing in terms of local language production uh, in LATAM and is that contributing to more Spanish language programming in your catalog? Well, we do have a very strong local production um, team working on, but you know, we need to have in mind that Latin America is a region with many different countries. So we all speak Spanish, but anyways, we, we are not, it's not the same Spanish, and we, each country has its own culture, its different habits, uh, trends. It, it's really hard to produce and develop something that would be interested for the whole uh, region. So local content is always important. We do have a very strong team developing and, and, and working with you know, originals for Mexico, for Brazil, for South Con, from the whole region. Um, and, you know, it's always a, a very important part of any uh, network or, or platform to have a, a local, a solid local content lineup. And artificial intelligence is set to be a big talking point at Content Americas this year. How much are you using it? I think it's easy to kind of forget how much we already use it just in our day-to-day -day lives. But things like the generative AI, uh, things like ChatGPT um, or, or other models, are you using that in your day-to-day -day working life more? And is that part of the strategy? Well, we are, we are definitely um, evaluating what we will use, okay? And the company is having a lot of different conversations and studies and teams working on you know, what we can do and what we can use and what we can't, because you know that we have a lot of issues with participants, with residuals, with the creators, with, you know, we, we do have to be very, we need to be very careful about what, what we can do. Um, and the company, but the company absolutely is up to and, and, and willing to, to include um, IA in, you know, whatever we can. And there are, you know, different teams in U.S., in, in each one of the territories. So we still don't have anything that we are now using, but we, we will be doing something. Now. You know, we, I don't know what, but, you know, we are working on that. Because windowing, it's a, such a complex um, thing, isn't it? And you could, yeah, see how technology could really help with that and the windowing strategies. Mm, I'm not so sure to be honest because I think that the best that we did during the last two years was to be flexible on windows and that is something that it's very related with the 
human work, okay, with the case-by-case uh, business with different clients, with different opportunities. So I don't see a system or, you know, something working, having that sense uh, of opportunity, uh, what we did during the last two years. So we opened a lot of opportunities and we were very flexible on windowing because we had that feeling that that would be a good opportunity for Max, for our internal clients, for third-party clients. And I don't think that that's still something that we can be replaced by uh, a machine. <laughs> Patricia Geisen speaking with Nico Franks at Content Americas in Miami. Alongside the likes of Warner Brothers Discovery, NBC Universal Telemundo, Disney, VIX and Globoplay was BBC Studios, which kicked off its involvement in the confab with the announcement it struck a deal with TVS Tecker in Mexico for a local version of UK game show format The 1% Club. BBC Studios Senior Vice President of Global Formats Andre Renault spoke with C. Vantayuno co-editor Pina Mazera about the deal, which follows others for the Magnum Media-made ITV title with the likes of Amazon in the US and about the growth of the Spanish-language market. Okay, Andre. So, uh, I, 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 would, I think we could start with your big announcement here at Content Americas and then we can go more to a broader scope of the... Perfect. I'm very happy to look... I mean, you and I sat down in a MIPCOM 2022, right? That's when we first met. And yes. We were talking about ambitions for Spanish-speaking, hire of Isabel, working with Rebecca um, to get stuff over the line. And, and I will say, I'm diverse slightly to say, we've had a really, really great year in Spain that I'm sure we'll talk about as well. But one of the most exciting things was that at MIPCOM 2023, we hosted our 1% Club play-along event. You were there? It couldn't. Oh. Well, you missed out. Yeah. Um, but do you know who didn't miss out was TVS Tekka, oh. uh, who did manage to make it. And 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 uh, really very very excited that we're here at Content Americas to announce that they have now commissioned One Percent Club for Mexico. It's a really good chunky order, fifty two episodes that they're going to be doing. Um, and that whole conversation really did start at MIPCOM. It was a meeting that Rebecca was having with with Azteca at MIPCOM after that event. And, and it really does go to show that people need to play the game to really, truly get a sense of it. Um, for us, it's really exciting because it's our first new entertainment show to come into the market. We've had Bake Off, we've had Dancing with the Stars in Brazil as well. Um, but to get something really, this, this event sort of over the line with Azteca has, has been a very exciting conversation. We've had a few calls with them already on editorial and development. I'm sure you'll be chatting to them as well. Uh, but it's a really exciting opportunity and we're very grateful for Azteca as well to um, commission the show and take it on board. That's that's really good news. And maybe we can dive in a little bit more about the Mexican adaptation of One Percent Club. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, it's a show. Well, of course, you know more than that, more than I. But um, it's a good show to to be. It's perfect for a local adaptation. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be it can be as local as you can, if as you want. Yeah. I mean. Um, so, why do you think uh, it could it, it will work in a free-to-air channel in Mexico today, yeah. and what makes it like unique? The thing about the One Percent Club is anybody can play it. It isn't about what you know; it's just how your brain thinks. And I think that's the that's the hook that people see, and that's the thing that has made it so successful in all the versions that have aired so far. 
including in Germany, France, Australia, elsewhere, Spain to come. Um, the idea that anyone can play, it, it has nothing to do with your knowledge, it has nothing to do with how you memorize. It's, it's, it's an entertainment format as well at its heart. So being able to engage with the audience, the people playing uh, those, those individuals and try and glean stories from those individuals, I think is something that will resonate really well in Mexico and across Latin America if we can get more people across the line to buy it. Um, the, those, I think that piece, and, and that is the heart of what makes something feel local, is we're really talking to 100 individuals and your host uh, is able to get those stories out of those people in a really fun way that goes through that gameplay. Why did you get that wrong when it's so obvious? Or even things to say, hey, how, why did you get that right? I just guessed and it was luck, you know? And for me, playing the game, and uh, sometimes you can look at stuff and see it and go, I, I can't see it. And then when they announce it, they go, oh, yeah, okay. I think that's at the heart of what makes the show so successful. And I do believe that that's the piece that will resonate with the audience in Mexico as well. Okay, good. So let's hope that Content Americas is a nice place for you to do next uh, <laughs> further deals. Yep. Uh, and uh, no, while you were talking, I was thinking of, um, you know, it's it has been so far commissioned by broadcasters. It's like a, a real, it's, a, I don't know, an iconic uh, game show for a broadcaster, but we are living uh, really changing times yes. and anything can happen yeah. and Prime Video is doing Operación Triunfo in Spain, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I wonder, like, what is your take on streaming and big entertainment? You know, in Content London, mm -hmm. Brandon Rick from Netflix said that they were looking for mm, shiny floors and game shows, that yeah. it was something new in the strategy. So uh, what's your take on yeah. that? So my take is, I think that's great. You know, our U.S. commission of the 1% clubs with Amazon Prime Video. Uh, so we are already working in that sphere, even on this show. I've long said, and I still stand by, that I believe there isn't that much major difference between a commissioner broadcaster and, and an OTT or an SVOD service. I think they're both trying to reach audiences. Um, and I think what you're looking for is content that appeals to people that has energy. You know, the the one thing I'll say is that those streamers are now trying things like live shows or they're trying things like uh, uh, bringing it in. But they've been testing things like reality and game for a long time. The only thing I'd say that they have a benefit is, is that really concise data to understand exactly who it is that's coming in there. Um, so I can see how that still remains a competitor, but at the same time, I think there's something around creating appointments to view with free-to-airs uh, that won't change. You know, we still go to them for sports, we still go to them for the news. Um, I think big entertainment live shows could still have energy there. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, we're happy to work with anybody who, want, who wants to have our content. And the, what about the, uh, the Amazon Commission? Mm -hmm. uh, are, are they going to... Do it like a, a live show or or pre-recorded in a more conventional way of streaming. Well, one percent's always pre-recorded, so but it's 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 sort of done as live. Um, but you know that we'd had uh, in previous years, uh, Dancing with the Stars was on on Disney Plus as well and went out um, both there and on ABC. Uh, but the one percent club itself has always been pre-recorded. It's it's part of the joy of the show of being okay. able to make sure you get the stories out. Okay, my my bad. No. 
Not no, at all. no, no, but hey, it's my job to know the shows. It's your job to check. <laughs> there are too many shows, too many shows. And I wasn't there at me come to yeah, play. Well, oh, see, my bad. It, but funnily you bring that up. It was it was one of the things that we were thinking about the most when we were doing that event, which is how do we create something for TV people that feels like it's live, but is also, you know, a studio event that normally isn't. Um, and it was a, it was one of the really important things we talked about was trying to create something that feels like it's television for TV people who are the most discerning, um, while still also delivering the same energy of the show. Uh, maybe we can jump into Spain a little bit. Yes, that you've been so active lately there. Yes, um, Isabel's so, been busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and and when when we met at Mipcom, she was just. Uh, she was on day. She was week one. Yes, week one. Literally week one. Uh, so you, you know, from there to now, uh, like you've been doing like lots of things there. And well, how do you see that that market and you know perspectives for this the year ahead? Yeah, look, the, um, we when we sat down in at MIPCOM twenty twenty two, one of the things we were talking about was that we believed that putting energy and, and specific focus into Spanish language markets was important and having somebody dedicated to navigate that like Isabel was really important and that's proven to be true. Isabel brings a lot of development experience with her as well and I think that that's one of the things that's really helped uh, get a lot of content over the line. Spain's also a really vibrant market at the moment. Uh, you, the, you can taste the competition between all the free-to-air broadcasters, not just commercial and commercial, but La Uno is also trying to put a lot of energy behind uh, content, and you've seen them do a lot of commissions. I think we are the only distributor who now has something commissioned and on air with all of the major free-to-air broadcasters in Spain, and that's something really commendable. So Bailando con las Estrellas is now airing on Telecinco, um, that's a conversation we've been having with them for, for quite some time. Uh, we've got Bake Off now uh, on uh, La Uno. We have Sewing Bee also back on La Uno. We had Bridge of Lies with La Uno and obviously 1% Club coming on Antena 3. But it isn't just those broadcasters that we've also been really lucky with. You know, Moneybags is with ETB, so we've been looking at working with the regionals. And I think Isabel's put a lot of energy in building those relationships, not only with the commissioners, but also with the production community, uh, in order to work on, on, on that development. I think Spain, as I said, is a really vibrant market at the moment, more than I've known in the 10 or so years that I've, I've, I've had energy inside it. And that's really exciting to see. I think it's exciting to see that people are trying new things or trying new ways of putting stuff there. What I'm hoping is, is that that can now translate for us into Latin America. Um, and it's the same kind of energy that we're putting in. And Rebecca's doing that this week when she's meeting with, with, with companies, both commissioners and, and with producers alike. We talked about this to say, I think the vibrancy in Latin America is also really high at the moment. Um, from a point around uh, needing to be, you know, needing to fill space that U.S. shows are, are putting in gaps, and I would say that the the work that's been done on having conversations about local development and localizing something that feels British intrinsically to begin with has been really crucial, and that's also what Rebecca's doing with broadcasters here is take you really need to take an original idea and boil it down to its component parts and say, look, we know what the origin of this is, you know your audience, you know your market. Um, and it's really important that we find a way of collaborating successfully together on that. We don't want to impose on you, oh, it must be a specific way or that way. We want to have a conversation with you about the origin and why we believe something's that way, and then to learn from that uh, how that would work for your audience. Um, so I think that that's, that's some of the energy behind why things have been working well in Spain as well. That's, that's really interesting. And then uh, I remember for, for, that, um, for the chat we had that uh, you told me that you were 
like open to 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 listen to ideas from uh, not non UK ideas. Absolutely. So where where are you at with that? It's a great question. Look, the 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 saying that creativity thrives in limitations still remains true. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in, in being 100 years old is that we need to make sure we're working successfully with other people for the next, for the next century. Um, at MIPCOM, and a little bit more, and we'll talk about it at Showcase uh, in February, we, we announced a co-development partnership with a Japanese uh, company, Nippon TV, for a show called Koso Koso, which is Japanese for sneaky sneaky, uh, just in case anybody's Japanese isn't, isn't, uh, isn't perfect. Um, and so that's one of the examples of something that's come through. And it is a true co-development. It, it, it was an idea that was taken together, was developed together, a BBC Studios concept that Nippon TV then, uh, we, we worked together to develop for, for Japan. And at Showcase in London at the end of February, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. Great. We will be there for, well, Situn to one, I'm sure, who will be there. <laughs> and, and I don't know if uh, you, at, at your particular role, uh, had found, you know, because of the strikes and, and everything that happened mm -hmm. the last year in the U.S., that there will be, there is already, like, a lack of con U.S. content mm -hmm. on the, uh, mostly in streaming platforms, but everywhere. So I don't know if you had felt the impact of a more, you know, a higher demand of, of international shows and, like, a kind of an opportunity there, or not so far? No. Yeah, the, the, I think the last three or four years has proven there's always something that's impacting. Um, and uh, people, it, what it has done is it's changed how people perceive looking for content and where they find content. The UK is still the um, number one format distributor in the world. So most ideas for formats that have traveled the most around the world still come from the UK, and still the US and Netherlands are number two and three, respectively. Uh, so we've always been... Uh, lucky in that respect that people have looked to us for ideas uh, and so that's something that I think will continue. I think the uh, looking at what the gaps have created has helped us also have conversations with people about where ideas can be. If anything I think it means that people have had to look for new slots to work with, um, to find content for those new slots and some of the commissions that we, some of the conversations we're having with commissioners are around how do we do something for a different slot, whether it's a new prime slot that's opened up or an access slot that used to maybe be occupied by some of the US content that came through. Good, and then just to, let's wrap up with this, but mm. you know, like, look, we are in January 2024, mm. uh, like the year ahead, yeah. what, 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 <laughs> let's, let's try to, Predict something. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky. We are in a tricky moment, but I don't know. Where do you see? What's your, in your particular role? What's, what's like the, the main challenges, and also like where do you see opportunity? Sure. Look, I think there's probably three things on my mind for the for the next twelve months or so. One of them is around helping people continue to de-risk. So looking at content that uh, either is up for revival or reboot. Uh, I would I would say, for example, Weakest Link is something that would be really interesting for us to talk more about with people. It's done really well in its uh, revival in the US. It's come back in the UK as well. And it you can see that people are looking more toward game show content anyway in general, both as far as looking at heritage brands, but also about economies of scale and how you, how you can film in a, in, in a day. The second is those new entertainment ideas. I think people aren't, aren't going away from wanting new, big, fun entertainment ideas. Um, so I'm hopeful things like 1% are part of that journey. 
Uh, I hope that uh, we can look at, for example, Caso Caso being part of that journey as well. Um, and then scripted. Um, I think that that's another angle on it. We can't, you can't ignore that people want drama, uh, regardless of, of the impact of economies around the world. I would still say that scripted formats are a really great gateway for people to get concepts over the line quickly. It cuts your development time down, it cuts your development costs down. You already have the track record of a local uh, or, or of a version that's worked elsewhere and internationally. Ghosts is a good example of that for me. I mean, it's been really, really successful in the US and it just finished its final season in the UK. I'd love to see more versions of Ghosts. I also think it's something that could get really lovingly adapted around the world because we all have those moments in history and stories we want to tell. So I think those are the three places in my mind over the next year that I'm hoping we can uh, explore a bit more with commissioners. Andre Renner speaking with Pina Mazera. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning into our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, catch up on all the news and views from Content Americas by visiting C21 online and follow us on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 